This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. Hey, Aaron, have you heard that we have a promotional code for speechtherapypd.com? I think I heard the same thing. Yes. So <laughs> as if we both hadn't heard that. <laughs> but um, it's first bite. So if you log on to speechtherapypd.com and enter the promotional code first bite, it takes $10 off an annual subscription. And Aaron, do that you want to? includes all the pod courses. Yes. And we have four now. I'm not sure if y'all knew that. We have four. We have first we have bite. One. Yeah, we do. It's speech uncensored. Um, and in case y'all haven't heard of this lovely lady, she focuses on adults. And I know that there's a fair few of you out there that PRN impedes and or PRN in adults. So be sure to check out Speech Uncensored. And it also includes the speech link and the SLP Now podcast with Miss Marisha, who I like fangirl crush. She's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. All right. So promo code is first bite. Whoop. Whoop. And don't let it autocorrect you to B-Y-T-E because it does it did that to me a couple times. So Woo-hoo! there it is. Woohoo! <laughs> Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Cola Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels, and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com.
Michelle Dawson here, the All Things Peds SLP. And our guest today is my dear friend, colleague, mentor, and my brother by a different mother, Paul Tardy, OTRL of PT, the OT therapy and wellness. The topic of today falls in the functional category. And if you heard him back in episode 56, Outstanding Orientation to the OT Scope of Practice, then you know it's in the fun category too. And today we're talking all things therapeutic handling. Okay, Michelle, what's therapeutic handling got to do with me? I'm the SLP, you may be thinking. Well, sit tight. Sir Paul is about to blow your neurons out of the water. Now, to paraphrase a wise book that I occasionally read, a house built on sand will shift, but a house built on rocks will stand firm and true. So allow me to translate that into Michelle Land thoughts. Darling, if that baby's core, i.e. their diaphragm, is shot, then they won't have the prerequisite strength to sit upright to bring a bottle or a cup to their mouth. They won't be able to take in a sufficient enough breath supply to produce a longer, louder utterance. In short, all the things that happen before they eat and speak won't happen successfully, and these kiddos are set for failure instead of success. So, what can we do about it? Easy. Befriend an OT or a PT. Easier said than done, right? We work in home health or a clinic, and maybe you don't have an OT or a PT nearby to learn from. Well, that's where my PT, the OT, aka my friend Paul comes in. He is here today to provide support and build us all up so that we can turn around and share the knowledge and help these little ones get the critical core they need in order to be set for success. So, Paul, long time no chat. Thank you for joining us on this hot Carolina summer eve. How you doing, darling? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me again. It's a pleasure to be on your show and to, to talk about this stuff. I, I love it. It's a lot of fun. I'm doing really well. Just loving here in South Carolina. I know you do too, being a Yankee. It's really nice being <laughs> No, 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 no. Virginia is not Yankees. You tell uh, any good Virginia person. I'm about as Yankee as you can get being up there in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, but when you do your Maine A's or your, the, the way you're a Maina, say it the way you say it. Oh, we park our cars down in the yard over here. <laughs> that is like we go to walmart and get our underwear <laughs> every once in a while it slips and i'm like what pie. the hell did he say yeah we oh. got moxie and we get our whoopie pies up there too we we like our red hot dogs <laughs> hot but, dogs um, should not be red dude that's not right <laughs> we don't eat that stuff anymore being whole plant-based vegan so it's uh, yeah anyway it's uh it's we love being here in south carolina absolutely been here for a while and um, nice. it's been a pleasure getting to know you, too. And my goodness, we've had a lot of fun together, haven't we? Oh, my gosh. I don't know how our mates put up with us. Yeah. We... Okay. So for those of y'all that don't know, Paul and I have worked together for, I think, almost six years now. Yeah. And he has mentored me and helped me grow as a clinician. And he's also given advice over the years to help me help my own my own sons. And I don't think, I mean, oh my God, I didn't think we'd ever get goose crawling or walking. And you, you told me one time, throw pillows down on the ground, like the couch pillows, which goes against every fiber of my being to take my pretty couch pillows and put them on the ground, right? Because they have a purpose. They're for the couch. And then you said, throw a big blanket over it so that it looks like a smooth surface, right? And so I did that. And you said, put the baby in the middle and then let him crawl off. And because, you know. <laughs> 
And I was like, well, no, okay. And then I got so frustrated with what was going on with Goose. And uh, finally I did it. And he started inverting his head because he had all those ear infections. And that was the first time you made me think that like an OT was, and bear in mind, like we'd been here, like we've been working together for like a year and change, but it was like the first time that I saw OT as being more than the fine motor, right? And then you told me how to help him go upstairs. And like you said, put your hand here and then do this with his foot. And that was my first literally hands-on experience with handling. Mm. And because he was like tripod crawling up the stairs or something. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how to explain what he did, but I explained it to you. You translated it. And then you told me what to do to kind of help him and then how to get him to do it walking. That was my first experience with therapeutic handling. Did you know that? It was you. And you did it all through, like you texted me videos and like, we would like watch them, but that was you. So yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to help. And I the feeling's mutual too, Michelle. You've helped our family out a lot too with all your work with Riley. You got him to talk in public and you get him to, you know, to help us to eat different foods and things like that. So Yeah, but I I went with Doritos, which apparently poison according to your son. I mean they're well, delicious. It, it was a good start, but, it, but, it, <laughs> but it was a starting point. So it's, um, it's all good. It's all good. That's great. Okay. All right. So we're here because we want to cover therapeutic handling. So tell us what is therapeutic handling? So you brought up a lot of good points with the therapeutic handling piece. It's a very broad, I I like to look at it very broad in a broad sense under this umbrella, if you will, therapeutic handling, because we all have it. We all do it, whether or not you realize it or not. And, and, um, I use the term like really loosely and, and I get it really defined and specific as well, because with therapeutic handling, we use so many things that we don't even think about as therapists, I think. And so, you know, I like to break it down into a couple of different categories. Like when, I, when you first walk into the room, even you're assessing the, the environment, if you will, the, the stress levels and, and what we do, what I do, I guess I should say, being early intervention, home-based therapist, you're walking into situations where you don't really know what's happening from the next treatment session to the next session. You kind of have an idea, but it's kind of up in the air. So we're going in with our plan of care, our intention of what we're doing with that particular child for that session, but it might go totally, you know, in a different direction. So the very first thing, this overview of therapeutic handling, I see it as therapeutic use of self and, and how we handle ourselves as therapists can either make a, a really enhance a very positive treatment session or it can you know if you've experienced a bad session you know wow you know i don't want to have that happen again you know so what can i do as a therapist to change to adapt to become all things so that this little guy can can or this little girl can can maximize performance because that's really what it's about is maximizing performance on this but i wanted to read this to you real quick this is a, a little um, a blurb through Advanced Magazine for Occupational Therapy Practitioners, and it's by Rhonda Erhart, and she, she wrote this, uh, you, you can Google it on, on uh, she wrote this back in 2010, you can Google it. Anyway, it's tips for improving therapeutic handling, and, and I was reading this, and I thought this was really cool. I wanted to just quote it, but there's more to touch than technique, 
When I was an OT student more, more than 40 years ago at the University of Illinois, I remember most clearly a concept that was drilled into all of us, which has become the core of my professional philosophy, therapeutic use of self. So that's kind of like what I was talking about. And she goes yeah. on to say, we were taught the importance of therapeutic relationship and how to use that relationship as our most important tool to communicate caring. A major component of therapeutic touch is the intent to help. Touch with intention is an energy exchange in which the caregiver, after becoming centered and quiet, transfers energy and makes it available to the other person who needs to restore balance and harmony within. And it just hit me. It was, I thought it was very profound. Mm -hmm. And now as a new grad, as a new, I'd be like, you know, this, this, you know, trans transfer of energy and, you know, this, you know, we're going to go out and hug a tree and all this kind of stuff. But no, this is, this is very, it's powerful in a sense, because when you, when you have hands on somebody, when, when you place hands on somebody, or if you've had hands placed on you, it conveys so much information, communication, how we present ourselves. If we sit facing a client versus sitting to the side of a client. Uh, we can be, we can present ourselves as being just different in how we sit, how we, if I'm standing and someone's sitting. Power poses. Right, exactly. Power poses. So that's a big one. So therapeutic, therapeutic handling has a lot more to do with modalities, if you will, that were taught in school. And, and I'll name a couple of them. Like, for instance, there's one called NDT, neurodevelopmental treatment or PNF, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. Reflex integration is another one, or RMT, you've heard me talk about that. Mm -hmm. So there's all these different handling modalities, if you will, or tools in the toolkit that are specific, you know, therapeutic tools that we use, but there's so much more to it and how that's applied because it, it could, you could be like, in a sense, an elephant in a, in a crystal shop, if you will, and just you have all this expertise with handling and all these all these courses, but if you don't handle yourself as a therapeutically, then it can either make or break the session and really have positive or negative influences on, on the direction of the therapy overall. So to summarize, I guess, if you will, therapeutic use of self would be the big one coming into a situation. Number two, I look at therapeutic handling with how I can modify the environment. So environment you can use to help create a more positive outcome within the environment with that client themselves by changing the environment to maximize performance. And I'm talking about like the sensory thing. So if the light is very bright or if we have fluorescent lighting in there. And, on in the background. Yes, exactly. Noisy background, high anxiety. A lot of the kids that we work with, they're coming from the NICU. A lot of anxiety because they get a lot of these medical problems parents are are stressed out to the max there's other siblings in the in the house a lot going on and if i come in with all this supercharged energy so again i check myself and make sure that i'm centered and i'm i can regulate myself if you will on how i present myself i can either bring energy to a situation or i can bring calm to a situation depending on the client if i have a failure to thrive i want to bring more energy if i have some a child who's bouncing off the walls who's you know fight or flight i want to really tone down how i'm speaking how i present myself the types of cueing i'm going to provide that sounds like the crucial conversations have you have you read that book 
No, I haven't. Okay, so Crucial Conversations is all about how if a person's speaking in the red, like I talk in red, right? I'm loud. My I have flailing hand syndrome, right? Like flailing limb syndrome. I talk with my hands, but I'm in the red. If the other person's in the blue and they're cold and they're withdrawn and retracted, we will not be able to have a conversation. And yeah. we will not be able to communicate until we both come to the middle, until we move away from our zones and go to the center. And that's exactly what this sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to have to get that book. That sounds really good. It's a really good book. Also, in that vein, there's a lot out there about being more balanced as an individual. Mm -hmm. And I can say I have done evaluations and I did one not too long ago where I did an evaluation and the child was a non-accidental trauma had occurred to him, which is a nice way of saying shaken baby and or trauma. And I had to take the rest of the day off. Mm, yeah. And it was a loving, warm home. But as they shared that, I could not not be a mom first when like the foster mother was sharing the PMH and I'm looking through the charts and through the records. And I couldn't take that drain on my energy and how I was feeling into the next session to even attempt to do a therapy session because I would have walked in significantly less than my best self. Mm -hmm. So folks out there listening, bear that in mind that the energy from one session can carry over and change the next. Yes. Sorry, squirrel, to hug a tree. Let me hug a tree with you. <laughs> <laughs> It's true though. You're you're exactly right. And that's and that's kind of like what um where I'm going with that and this overview of therapeutic handling to therapeutic use of self to converting conveying energy. And a lot of times we don't even consider that. I mean, a lot you know, we forget or we're coming from a situation where it's high stress. And I like that little break. What we do with home health, we get a little break, drink my drink my smoothie, listen to some Metallica, you know. Relax a little bit. <laughs> that helps you relax. Yeah, Metallica yeah, helps you relax. Metallica helps me relax. <laughs> Zamfir, the Pam flute, kind of listen to that. Anyway, but I want to make sure I get into the specifics on therapeutic handling too, because okay. going back to what you were saying before, house built on sand, I, that's a that's really good. I, I I've heard that too. And how, what does that mean in terms of like a human being? So if our core is and I'll, and I'll start there and, I, and I'll kind of go back a little bit but our core is developmentally we need head control head controls first right and then we develop core and then the limbs so it go we we know developmentally we it's head caught it's cephalic to caudal so head to bum you know and then it so core and then once that it goes outward okay so we learn control of our hands and things like this the head will go where the eyes go and the the body goes where the head goes kind of thing so with that said and done we need this, this strong foundation in order to bring spoon to mouth it's got to start with head control core control i mean be able to sit up and it'll do that and more specifically the swallow with solid foods you need more head stabilization you know next co-contraction at the at the level of the neck and the head in order to do that it's really hard to swallow when you're when you're flexed, when your head, when your chin is down, touching your chest, or if you're looking up at the sky. It's like it's, it's almost impossible to get a good swallow going in there, mm -hmm. especially without you know having aspiration. Premature um, spillage, yeah. Yeah, 
So there's the, I think there's the connection between this, this working relationship with speech and OT. I think speech therapists should do more therapeutic handling. I think there's, there's no rule book that says you can't. I mean, I think you really should. And I encourage speech therapists to feel, you know, get some, go to, go to some trainings um, and different courses on, on therapeutic handling. NDT is, it would be a good one to go to. And this other one that I was talking about is reflex integration. Maxine Haller is a, is a uh, mentor of mine. She's taught me a ton of information on reflex integration. She teaches her own method now because I was, you know, I wanted to go a little deeper in my own walk with, with OT, learning about sensory integration, you know, and this is like the beginning nuts and bolts of, um, I guess, therapeutic handling, if you will. So with the head control, core control and that kind of thing. So I guess I'll give you the definition if you can. It's a short, quick one, but I picked this one up too. And I guess this concisely defines therapeutic handling from an actual, okay, I'm putting my hands on you know, a client. It's the ability to assist a client in transition from one service to the next safely and effectively while maximizing the client's optimal level of performance without sacrificing client safety. Okay, so kind of unpack this a little bit. It's using that energy that we talked about. How much energy do I use to help this person turn over or hold their head up? Or what technique can I use to get the child to activate their own muscles to pick their head up? And we talked a little bit about that in the last podcast on um, that little technique that I shared with you on pull the sit. When you, that's a, that's a good uh, activity that I, that I teach parents We're working on head control right to start with. And they have very low tone, let's say, and the, and the head control just is not there. So one of the first activities or uh, exercises I'll have the parent do is I'll teach them how to do a safe, a safe pull to sit exercise. And that, that will engage the flexion muscles in the, in the neck, the sternocleidomastoid muscle and to activate so that the child will start to bring their forehead up against gravity and stabilize. Hey, I'm not sure if you've caught the updates yet, but I have the pleasure, if you haven't seen it already, of announcing the 2020 SpeechTherapyPD.com Conference at Sea. We are going aboard a Royal Caribbean Alaskan cruise departing Vancouver, British Columbia, July 10th through 17th of 2020. And I am thrilled and humbled to be announcing that I will be presenting. I have a, a three-hour course, a two-hour course, a one-hour course, and I'm co-presenting another three-hour course. And my co-presentation will be with the one and only Lee Ann Porter of Speech Uncensored, which is Speech Therapy PD's newest adult pod course podcast that just added to our lineup and marisha mcgordy the guru behind slp now will also be there and if you register before september 30th then you get a free six month subscription to slp now so again make sure that you register before september 30th of 2019 for the speech therapy pd conference at sea, um, which is July 10th through 17th of 2020. And I cannot wait to see y'all aboard a ship where we're going to see real life bears and like, hopefully we'll get to see Northern Lights. So whoop, whoop, see you at sea. Bye. Okay. So 
in the speech pathology world, we use the shaker, Shakir or shaker methodology with adults where they lay flat and then lift their head against gravity and do a series of swallow to teach like higher level mobility of the hyoid bone, trying to get that hyoid bone to move up and over to actually strengthen the swallow. So like for everybody out there wondering, when I say I don't use chewy tubes and I don't use Z-vibes, it's Paul coming in and doing therapeutic handling on the patients and then teaching me, these are the exercises that I do to create a more effective swallow. Sorry, squirrel, but that was like the perfect squirrel and perfect explanation, Paul. So thank you. Yeah, that's perfect. That's I, And I agree completely with, completely with what you're saying. You know, if you can do co-treats, my goodness, if you can, you know, your way in a situation where you can do co-treats, it's hard with home health because depending on busy schedules are, but when you and I do these home health treatments, they're, they're just so profoundly educational on my end as well. I mean, I'm, I'm learning a ton. You and I sound like encyclopedias when we start talking and the parents are like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, uh, we'll explain it in just a second. Hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, going back to the actual hands-on piece. So before I even like lay hands on a client, this is, these are all the things that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the environment. I'm looking at my therapeutic use of self before I w- even walk in and, and, and assess the situation. What kind of function does the child have? So if we, if we have a child, let's, say, let's just pick one of the ones that we're working with. I go in and see the little child has this failure to thrive. She's not moving her head. She lays on her belly. And is not moving her arms and her legs, and she's barely able to like move her head. And you look, roll her over, and she's so floppy, very, very floppy, and doesn't sit up, has no head control. Uh, so that tells me as a therapist, okay, she's not rolling over yet, she's not crawling, and very low tone. So it's this like a failure to thrive kind of situation. So what I need to do is I need to stimulate the reticular activating system, the RAS part of the brain, which is responsible for the arousal in the center of the brain. It'll stimulate, it'll influence tone. So it'll increase tone, uh, muscle tone. It'll stimulate motor activity, spontaneous movements from the child. So I'm going to start to do a technique through what's going back to rhythmic movement training, like I said. We have these reflexes, and I'll step back just a little bit and I'll come back to this. So um, okay. these reflexes that start in utero, and they're hardwired into our brainstem. Suck reflex is one in our world. Suck reflex, swallow reflex, mastication reflexes. Yeah. Coughing and sneezing are other ones too. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, And then you get these other ones, the transitional ones. ATNR, and I won't go through all of them, but all these reflexes are already present at birth. So one of the things that listeners can do is, is Google belly to breast crawling. It's like the fourth link down, and that'll take you to a YouTube video. And you can watch all these videos of these brand new infants just being born, not even cleaned up yet. They put the baby on the mother's belly, and just by reflexes alone, it, there's no training, no, haven't had a chance to crawl yet. This is the first attempt at you know, challenging with, you know, being challenged against gravity and they will work their way up the mother's belly, use the reflexes to locate the nipple and latch on. It's, it's amazing to watch. We had to watch that in the CLC class. It is the most beautiful thing ever. And after I watched that, I was like, one, I want my uterus back. And two, I totally never got to do that with either one of my sons. And like, 
It's huge with the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative. Y'all, it's the most beautiful thing you will see out there. It's just, it's gorgeous. Okay. It is. One of the things that they're, I heard they're starting to do this again. My, my son's going to school right now for being a nurse. And he's telling me that with the C-section babies, they lose some of these reflexes. And I'm, I don't want to get too far into this rabbit hole because we can talk about reflexes all day. I don't want to focus <laughs> on therapeutic handling. So these reflexes start to get integrated even through the birth canal. Okay. And even so within Euro, in the birth canal, 18R, asymmetric tonic neck reflex, it helps with the, the spiraling through the birth canal. And with C-sections, they don't get this. So all of these are very important towards hand-to-mouth, 18R, the head is turned, grasping reflex, and you know, and hand-to-mouth. So the failure to thrive, we were talking about before with the head control, right? Sometimes when they, if they get C-sections or they, they don't, they have lesions on the brains and stuff like this, therapeutic handling doesn't happen because the touch begins with the mother the parents touching the child and the stimulation of the neurons starts to go away from the air. So the kids that we see are often challenged. You know, they have a lot of medical challenges and they don't get that kind of touch that they normally would get. So when we come in, it's like, okay, we want to present that. We want to bring that, that touch into the picture. Different factors that cause these, you know, brain lesions, chromosomal abnormalities, lack of touch, failure to thrive. So what I want to do is teach the mom how to bring in therapeutic touch, therapeutic handling to start these neurons to make these connections. Because like, you know, this is a little fun fact. Newborn child has 4.7 million new nerve cell branches every minute. It's mind boggling when you're talking minute? about this, when these connections, right? Every minute, 4.7 million new connections are being, you know, and these connections are being made through our sensory, our sensory system. So touch, hearing, sound, seeing, moving, and playing. So what happens with neuroplasticity when the child is, it has some kind of chromosomal abnormality, they have something that's preventing them from that normal developmental sequence, these neurons are being pruned. So it's either being grafted in or pruned out. So it's, it's vital that these kids get touch and they get movement and they get all these different sensations coming at them so that these links, these networks, if you will, are being made in the brain for normal movements to happen. So going back to our Philly to Thrive little guy, there's a technique, a uh, rhythmic movement technique called butt rolling when they're on their belly I've seen it. and prone. Yeah. You, you, have you seen it before? You seen me do it or have you done it? Or I've, I've seen you do it with one of, um, well, with a boatload of our little ones, but there's one in particular a little lady out in the country and I've seen you do that, the movement and the mom showed me like practice videos and it has made all the difference for that kid. It's incredible. What you're basically teaching is we move in three different planes. We move in the sagittal plane, this front to back, and then the frontal plane, which is side to side. And then you have this uh, transverse plane. So it's rotational. And when you're doing this, this butt rolling, if you will, what that does is so the child is on their belly and you have your hand just at the level of their sacrum, just above their butt. And you're going very gentle. It's probably about four ounces of pressure going back and forth in a rhythmic type of uh, motion. And basically what you're doing by doing this is you're providing sensory input. So well, let's talk about the different sensations. You have tactile, which is skin. 
So the child is, and I always recommend, I like the babies to be is, is with at least amount of clothes as possible because the skin is such a large organ. They can receive all the sensory information through their skin, a lot of it tactile. And the three power sensations that help us to move and maintain static position are vestibular input, which is the movement that comes, is registered in the inner ear. There's semicircular canals in the inner ear, and they pick up on speed and directionality of our head. And we want to be perpendicular to gravity. So that's just hardwired into our brainstem. And the third sensation, there's others too. We know about smell and touch, excuse me, smell and sight and hearing. But the three main ones for movement would be touch, vestibular, and this last one is it's called proprioceptive input. And basically, that's these, these receptors are located in the joint and also the muscle, and they tell us our body awareness or our body schema. It gives us an idea of where our body is in relationship to itself. So with sensory input coming in, what this does is it, it gives us more information about ourself, uh, this body map, if you will. Um, so when you're doing just a simple activity this, with this butt rolling exercise, this is one of many different therapeutic handling modalities, if you will, to bring in head control, okay, or stimulation to the reticular activating system so that the child will start to pick up their head. Um, and it's like, well, how is butt rolling going to have this child pick their head up, okay? When you're doing this activity, you're providing the vestibular movement because you're rocking back and forth and, the, and this subtle movements going on that the inner ear, the vestibular system is picking up on. The second thing it's picking up on is that tactile stimulus. So the child is on their belly. So all this input is coming into their, to the level of the spinal cord to the brainstem. So all sensation, all sensory information comes into the level of the brainstem, except for smell. Smell goes directly to the brain. So what you're doing by just doing this little tiny movement is you're providing tactile, vestibular, and proprioceptive information to the brainstem. It's, it's crucial that it goes to the brainstem. So we're at the level of the, 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 the we're at the level of the brainstem. So this information, this powerful sensory information, and it is powerful. And I tell the parents that because it's very powerful. We're looking at about 30 repetitions. 30 repetitions? Yeah, 30 repetitions is what was taught to me. So the repetition would be like if I'm rocking in this rocking motion, I'm just kind of counting to myself. It's not vital or it's not crucial that it's like, okay, I only did 10. What does that mean? Or if I did 50, it's okay. Some of the things you want to consider though, when you're doing these things is you're looking for an autonomic response, meaning that the brain has had enough information at this moment. So the child will either yawn or they'll, they may whine even, they may move away. They may whine. You're looking for skin color and things like that. So you just kind of be cognizant of this. And, and I encourage anybody who's interested in doing this, I recommend going to a rhythmic movement training or, you know, get in touch with Maxine Haller. And I can put that in the show notes. Yes, please. Yeah. So you, so anybody who's listening wants to learn more about this because for feeding and speech, there's too much to discuss in this little podcast with about reflex integration, but the correlation between feeding, speech, and these reflexes and integration, neuroplasticity is huge, 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 huge. Anyway, getting back to the level of the, the brainstem. So all this sensory information is going in. This is passive. So this is sensory stimulation, if you will. Mm -hmm. What you're looking for, what happens, and it's just kind of magical when it does, is we talked a little bit about the reticular activating system. So this information is going to the level of this brainstem. Brainstem is like the gatekeeper. And, and what it does is it starts to make these links. 
the research shows that it takes literally seven seconds for a neuron, the axon at the neuron level, to make a new connection at it with another neuron. So new connections, and, and we call that a link. And then when that happens, that's your neuroplasticity. That's your brain starting to grow. What we're looking for is a network. We want a whole bunch of these links to happen so that a new pathway is established and the old pathway is pruned out. That's it in a nutshell. So if you're doing 30 repetitions, how long does it take you to do the 30 repetitions on average? Not long, not long at all. So you're talking probably a minute, if that. So you just okay. you're just a gentle rocking back and forth motion. You're kind of counting to yourself, you know, and you're, and again, you're, you're watching the child, how they're responding to this. Um, this one particular case study, like I'm talking about, this is a failure to thrive child. So she's tolerating this very well. She's just kind of going with my motion. And then after, you know, a couple of sets of this, you know, um, I'm kind of watching, she's doing fine. And all of a sudden she, the first time mother's there, she watches, she picks her head up. And so opposite. So she's laying on her left cheek, let's say. She picks her head up and looks and turns her turns her head so her right cheek is not touching the floor. And the mom was like, oh, my goodness. No. Yeah. Wait, this is, this is our little one. That I, I think I know which one we're talking yeah. about now. Oh, my yes. God. Yes. Yeah. Right. So no rolling over at this point. This is the first time she's actually picked her head up against gravity in prone position. Okay. So, folks, just so you all know, the little one had Rett, has Rett syndrome. And is it that one, our little woman has Rett syndrome? Yes. Is that one you're describing? Yes. yes. And she's severely, profoundly disabled. And while this is also going on, we were waiting on a diagnosis for a seizure disorder. So in the background, Paul's working against Rett's and a seizure disorder that is not medically managed at this point in time. So, all right, had to put it in a picture. Also, cutest little curls <laughs> you ever did see. So just like, yeah, full picture. All right, now you got it. Go, Paul, go. Blue eyes, they look like little marbles, you know, little blueberries yeah. in them. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so now the, the brainstem is like, oh, I got all this information. This is wonderful. I'm going to share this with the, the cerebellum. I'm going to share this with the reticular activating system. So we start to see a change in her tone going from floppy. You're starting to see more muscle tone kicking in after, you know, not in the same session, of course, but like after, I think, what, about a month I've been working with her, maybe? Yeah, I think it's been a month. Yeah, so you're starting to see random little spontaneous movements. So before, no movement. And after, you know, a few sessions of this, and this is just one of those, again, this I'm making, I'm simpl simplifying this, but after, you know, a couple of different types of rhythm, rhythmic movements, so this is one form of therapeutic handling that I'm referring to, right? So she's in prone, we do this, she, I put her in supine, should we do this other ones? And not too many, probably three at most. And we do another technique called body brain body mapping. We can probably do another podcast on that if you want to, but that's another type of handling. Yes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's another type of handling that um, creates a body schema, which we talked about before. That's our like an internal body map of where I am in relationship to myself. Anyway, so she starts making these little movements and that's telling me now that the link is now connecting to the, the cerebellum. Cerebellum re being responsible for smooth coordinate, the initiator of smooth coordinated movements, okay? So now I'm getting a sense of like, now there's some links being made, there's some connections being met. The third part of the brain that I'm interested in that I want to have these links connect with is the basal ganglion. The basal ganglion is the inhibitor of the movements. So let me put it this way. You Let's look at it from a standpoint. You have um, 
a pot, you have a light switch and you have one of the dimmer switches. So we got power coming in. That's the rhythmic movement. And the link being made, the child starts to do, that's passive rather. The child okay. starts to do the movement and that's an active. So the child turns the switch on. Instead of having it fully on, like some of our CP, some of our little CP kiddos, the ones the CP that we have, they, mm -hmm. they have these jerky attaxic movements. The yep. ganglion isn't inhibiting those movements. So these, these movements are real jerky and they're real uh, uncoordinated, if you will. The basal okay. ganglion is not inhibiting the initiation of the movement. So once these links start to be made, the, you know that the, the connection to the cerebellum is working. As they start to move, as they start to develop, then they're making connections to the basal ganglion. The basal ganglion slows down, inhibits the movement, and they start to gain control. And that's the whole thing in a nutshell. Once they gain control, then the handling piece is you back off and let the child do the work. So it's this balancing act between the therapist and the client. So giving the amount of necessary input that they need in order to do functional movements. And that could be, you know, that was just one example of like head control or learning yeah. how to pick their head up. Okay. So that's a prerequisite. So these kiddos, if they don't have head control, if they can't pick their head up, if they have limited mobility like that, I can't expect them and when I think of head control, I still view being able to lift your head as a gross motor activity, right? Like if you're laying on the floor and being able to pick up your head, I view that as like gross motor skill. And speech articulation is very much a fine motor skill. So for me, the way in the world of speech pathology, we were taught gross motor comes and then fine motor. Like I always I like tell my families, Babies, the old wives' tale, there is truth to it. Babies walk and then they talk, right? Mm -hmm. Normally walking by 12 months, normally starting to babble by like and have first words by 18 months, right? Because we got to do the gross to go to the fine. But everything that you just described is strengthening the core so that they can lift their heads up, activating all those muscles. And you say it a whole lot prettier than I do because this is really below the clavicle. <laughs> but... <laughs> Then they're able to pull it together to start doing, you know, I came in and with that particular case, I came in and started doing modified Kaufman apraxia cues for like speech sounds. And now she's starting to pull her lips together and make bilabial sounds. And she's starting to phonate and even doing some back sounds like some of the G's and K's are coming along. And I haven't gotten a D out of her yet, but I mean, eventually the D will come, right? But it's so cool to see how once you... Y'all, I got to be honest, the progress that the babies have made with me in isolation is insufficient. However, when therapeutic handling is done and when I'm more mindful about my approach with the kids and when I mean like Paul comes in and does like, please describe it as like the magic that you do do. But when you come in and do the magic that you do do, it's, oh my gosh, these kids just make so much more progress so much faster. And okay. All right. Tie this into motor control for speech and motor control for PO intake and no pressure. We have 14 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> a good segue into the next thing I was going to kind of bring up. So getting back to the whole gross motor thing and speech and, you know, who handles what, this is just a matter of your comfort level and obviously continue education because yeah. they're, they're vital and there's nothing in the rule books that says that, you know, speech can't do you know therapeutic handling because i mean the end game is still the same 
You know, the end game is st yeah. still the same. It helps me to kind of um, visualize it from a standpoint of, I, I just think of it like a pyramid or a Christmas tree. And you're putting uh -huh. these bulbs in the Christmas tree and you start at the bottom and work your way up. Well, if you don't have the bulbs in the bottom, this drives my, my wife crazy because she wants to do the Christmas tree. She does it all by herself. She won't anybody, let anybody do it because if it's not done right, she's got to have that bulb in place and all that kind of thing. And it always, it kind of reminds me of... of I, I understand, Jennifer. I totally <laughs> get to that. Yeah. Because the, yeah. the four-year-old like wants to hang all the snowflake ornaments in one spot. And like I can feel my skin crawl just thinking about, but you got to spread them out, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're good. It's good. <laughs> so it's got to be done a certain way in order for these, uh, correlate that back to the brain. You know, It's got to be done a certain way in order for these uh, sequences, uh, if you will, these development. So we talked a little bit about head control, trunk control, arm, and, and, and speech is way at the top of that Christmas tree. It's at the top where you yes. can visualize a pyramid, if you will. All these things, what I'm talking about, are at the bottom, at the base, at the first level of that pyramid. So I guess that's a good way to do it, either Christmas tree or pyramid. But if you're looking at it in terms of like, okay, how do I get to this next level of motor planning how do i get to this it helps me to visualize okay where we're at in, in, in terms of development if we're just if we're talking about just being able to accept therapeutic touch from a child with the active moro reflex i need mm. to start at ground zero you know mm -hmm. otherwise we're going to have an active more reflex and this child's going to be in a fight or flight state and, and i'm not, not going to be able to bring anything to their mouth nothing okay Explain Mora really quick, Paul. Sure. Moral reflex is like the startle reflex. It starts as startle, but then moral. So I'll just paint a picture. So we have a child, you know, you see this infant sitting up in, you know, crisscross applesauce and they hear a loud sound, bang, and their eyes get big as golf balls. Their hands go throw it up in the air and their hands are open and they stop breathing and they go. <gasps> so we've all seen kids do that, right? And then they mm -hmm. start to cry, and, you know, and they're scared to death. That's an active moral. It's funny. It is funny when you see it, but it's, yeah. it's terrifying to the child. And I, just, yeah, I know you, and I just envisioned you doing that entire thing. Oh, I did. In your I did. I'm sitting over here and I'm doing it yeah. in my hands. Even though you can't see me, I did it over here. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, I'll behave. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm having a moral response over here. Yeah, so that's what happens, right? And, and that's good in a situation where there's a fight or flight that's needed. You know, this is something that's threatening, you know. So what it does is it turns on this, this sympathetic nervous system and you get a shot of adrenaline kicking through and your breathing is affected. Autonomic responses are like, you know, fight or flight, fight or flight. So if that doesn't get integrated, then you have a child who is in this state of, um, you know, fight or flight. So going back to what we talked about originally, I'm walking in. Use it and if I don't check myself, you know, therapeutically at the door and, you know, I bring in this energy, this negative energy and, and there's energy in the house that's high anxiety and I'm trying, I can't understand why this kid is just, you know, screaming his head off. Well, it's because they're high anxiety and they have an active more reflex that wasn't, that's never been integrated. Integrated means they can override that primitive reflex. They no longer are like, you know. Yeah, flying out of their seats like scared to death and you laugh too because <laughs> for the longest time i had an active moral as an adult and i didn't even know it you know until i went to this course and i was like wow i get an active moral so i worked on integrating it now because you should typically get a response of just like a blink 
you know, and nothing major, nothing like, you know, throwing papers up in the air and, you know, screaming, ah, you know, scared, being scared like that. If that happens, even as an adult, that's an act of moral. And that's, that's not a good, that's not a good thing to have because it causes a lot of problems. It causes a lot of sensory defensiveness and, you know, our behavior. What's up with him? Why is he so crabby? You know, he's got, because he's in a state of fight or flight. So that reflex is activated. It's stimulated by a couple of different ways. The head can be tilted backwards and it's usually 45 degrees to zero. So when they're in, when they're flat on their back to 45 degrees down, so going backwards, it's, it causes that start. You'll see it. The hands will open up. They'll, they'll have a jerk reaction. They may start crying on you. Bear still has that. My four-year-old, he still has that. He, if I go to flip him backwards, he will go into more a reflex right then and there. Okay. So what are you going to do real quick? To help that is you pick him up when you see it happen, pick him up, have his legs straddle you. So your belly, so you're, you have his butt next to your stomach and you're holding his butt and you have his, have his hands. The child will just naturally grab onto your shirt. Um, yep. So they ha- let them grab onto your shirt and you want to pet them on their bum and you just kind of, you know, do that kind of shushing kind of thing. La, 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 la. He loves that. Yeah. So what yeah. this, and remember we talked about, there's a new link that's established, takes about seven seconds uh-huh. for a new link to be established or to integrate. And your cue is when you hear this, uh, I don't know if you can hear it on the mic, but I'll try it. It's like when you go, <sighs> so they make that kind of a, that sucking. In. Big deep sigh. A deep sigh. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. A deep yeah. sigh. That's a good way to describe it. That's exactly what's going on. That's your cue that, that, that you can put them down. Okay, that reflex, you get, you established a new link, you're on your way to integrating that reflex. Now, you may see it a couple of times because remember we talked about that one link is a neuron, a network is a bunch of neurons making a new connection. You got a new, you want, and you, with that reflex, you want some, um, you know, you want a super highway in there. You want uh, fiber optics cable, if you will, laid down because <laughs> you want that gone, right? Yeah. Because it has such a negative impact on other things. Okay. In bringing this into full circle, trying to answer your question, like, how does this affect speech? You can see right away with if that, if that one particular reflex is still active, then it's going to change your, your breathing pattern because you have, now you have a fight or flight response and your breathing pattern is more shallow. You're more hypersensitive to sounds. That's the other way it can be stimulated a sound. So we talked about head going back, a sound, uh-huh. light touch can also stimulate it. But that's the integration process. And you can play games too. So they're, they're holding a bolster, the piggyback on dad. So they're hanging on to dad and dad's walking around, you know, on his hands and knees like an elephant. And they're trying to hang on and dad's wiggling and they're, they're hanging on. So that flexion, grasping reflex and flexion in with the legs and the arms helps to integrate that reflex. Because when the reflex is stimulated, the arms go back, the head goes back, the hands open up. So the opposite would be when they flex on, they're hugging on. So if you think of like a, a monkey riding on the mother's back, that kind of a thing helps to integrate more. So you can use that kind of a visual for like dad and, you know. Yeah. Bear likes to pretend that we're a pack of bears. I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know what a bear family is called. So they pretend that they're a pack of bears. And that's one of his favorite things to do is my husband will put on bear hat and then he runs around growling pretending that he's all of it yeah (laughs) so like i can't make this up that's the picture that we're gonna go with for the podcast paul and then then have have your son ride on his back (laughs) 
Okay. Oh, Mr. Dawson is a very patient, understanding man. I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah, right um, around on, on Papa Bear's back. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. okay. I'm so so that's one example of how it kind of how, how it affects speech, right? So in the head control, once again, too, that that's the other piece of it. So the bottom, going back to that pyramid, I know we kind of chase around a little bit, but going back to that pyramid, if these primitive reflexes, which at that where which are at the bottom of that pyramid, aren't fully integrated, then what happens is the child develops compensation strategies. And these compensation strategies are effective to a certain point, but they're they're not helpful in other other aspects. Does that make sense? Yes, because Bear is also my little one in speech therapy who when and that breath thing, I always equate that to the cry. You know, when like a kiddo has cried themselves out mm -hmm. and that's like that last breath before they're like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. Like he will do that when ah oh, Paul come do OT with Bear. <laughs> <laughs> right. So okay. if you think about it in terms of like let, this is a good example. I'm glad, I'm glad you were talking about moral because that's one of the first ones that you want to address. Because if you have a if you have a kiddo that's that's in fight or flight, that's the very first thing you want to help them work on. Because think about it. If you're stressed out in your fight or flight mode. How does that affect your breathing? Just use different examples that distress you. I was driving home the other day and this uh, the state trooper got right on my tail. And I'm like, well, okay, like first thing I do is check my speed. You know, and he didn't turn the lights on. I check my speed. Okay, I'm good. Okay. And then you drive like you got the driver's ed teeth, you know, the driver's ed police officer and your passenger seat from there. Right? <laughs> it, right? Yeah. Well, he, he takes the off ramp and he, he, he goes off and I start to, I start to settle down. I start to calm down. Right. But there's this surge of adrenaline and you can feel it. It's, it's palatable, right? You can feel this, right? And you're, you have, it kind of goes to your head in a way and your breathing is affected. And, um, trying to talk when you're in that state is really tough because you're, yeah. all it's about right now is, is fighter, is survival. So to try to, you know, have a conversation and think it's really hard to do that. And in speech, it's such a higher functional motor skill that it requires so much less, so much, it, if the cerebral thinking is being hogged up by all these lower level things, there's nothing left for speech. So once these lower level functional, and that's, and I want to bring it full circle to the gross motor, fine motor, and then the speech piece. The reason for that is because when you have all this cerebral thinking going on to be able to walk. They actually, it's hogging up all this memory. There's no more memory left. You know, I'm working on a, you know, an old 56K computer here. And I, you know, <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing left. You know what I mean? So once those. No, because I don't know anything about computers, but aside from the computer bit, I totally got you. you got me that? Okay. So if I'm hogging up all my, on my hard drive, there's nothing left on the hard drive. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a little bit more sense. Then, yeah, you were like 56K. And I was like, is that a car? I don't remember <laughs> you talking about a car. I was really confused. That's an old, old, old computer. Then they first came out, you know. So okay. now they get terabytes and all that. Anyway, if I don't have any more memory left, or I don't have any more capacity in my in my cerebrum, because these these lower level skills, if you will, are taking up all that all that space, then I'm not gonna be able to like talk. And I can't, there's nothing left there. So once these reflexes become integrated 
and there's, there isn't compensation strategies happening, then it's going to free up my brain to be able to process auditory input, be able to process visual input so that I can have improved receptive communication skills so I can have improved expressive communication skills. And safely start eating by mouth. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. This is... Uh, Does that make sense? Paul. Yes. You need your own podcast, Paul. Everybody's like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> That was a long-winded answer to, I think, your question, but no, that's okay. It's very complex. This, it's a very complex is, thing, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot going on. It is okay. All right. Also, you made a point. You made an argument. All right. So the NDT, the neurodevelopmental training methodology, no, it's actually, called neuro neurodevelopmental technique or Bobat. Technique. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They have one specific for SLPs. Did you know that? I did. Yes, of course you did. Well, of course you did. Okay, but SLPs that are out there listening, you can get your NDT certification, the same certification as OTs and PTs get, but they also have, and it's expensive. It's like, it's one week, a quarter for an entire year. So it's like four weeks total, but like you, they spread it out over a year and it's like several thousand dollars. I know this because it's on my bucket list, but you know, we got tuition first for the tiny humans to go to daycare. But like, once that part is done, but that NDT coursework, I actually have heard from several SLPs that are certified and they said they felt like it was the missing link for them when they were trying to work with like medically fragile kids. And because I mean, before I spend like several thousand dollars on a class, I want to make sure that it's like going to be worth it. But between your explanation and all the nerdy SLP explanations, very much worth it. Yeah. So. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I've been to a, a couple of different courses. I'm certainly not certified in NDT, but it's very good in terms of we didn't even touch upon key points of control. And I, and I think I might be getting close to my 14 minutes, but you are like, we're, we're, over, yeah, well, dude. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, all right. Well, that, that's another time. Key points, key points of control and where you place your hands on a child to maximize their performance. But now that's it. I'm done. <laughs> All right, you you got a group of you you have it you have a, a fangirl groupie over here. My sweet friend Annalise came over because I told her that we were we were talking all things you know Paul and therapeutic Annalise. She's like, can I come crash the party? So oh, Annalise, hey. hello again. Hi there. How are you? <laughs> but I'm just saying, like <laughs> you you ha yeah, everybody loves this stuff. Excellent. Oh my gosh. Excellent. I'm glad. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. We have to hold on because I have to switch over to questions. Okay. So hold on. And then you have to come back for around three. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. Hang, hang on one second. Michelle Dawson, you're all things peds SLP here with another exciting update brought to you by feedingmatters.org. So if research on pediatric feeding stokes your fire, then join Feeding Matters virtually on August 29th for the inaugural Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance Research Town Hall. Haley Henriksen Estreen, PhD RN, will present strategic updates and initiatives igniting and driving research to advance the elevation and treatment of pediatric feeding disorders. Visit bit.ly backslash PFDA Town Halls to learn more. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite. 
fed, fun, and functional. I am your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.